0: You're listening to Modern Marketing, a podcast brought to you by Influicity. At Influicity, we build brand communities that drive revenue. Learn more at Influicity.com. On today's episode, Influicity CEO John Davids talks with John Lieberman, VP of Content, Social, and Influencer Marketing at Demandbase. John, welcome to the show. What is the insight you want to
1: share today? All right, John, thank you for having me. The insight is in modern marketing storytelling has to drive everything digestible visual content and you have to bring it to where your audience is you can't expect your audience to go searching for your content you have to take it to them
0: so can you talk about we'll talk about how that happens wrong in a second but give me a good example of that what platform what kind of content and how do you make it digestible
1: So there's a few things to break down there. Number one, digestible to me means you always start with your shortest asset. You lead with your shortest piece of video or your shortest audio soundbite. And then I think of it as a movie trailer. I tell my teams all the time, put the movie trailer out first. If people are brought in by the movie trailer, that's when we direct them to a longer asset. Maybe it's a longer video. Maybe it's a full podcast episode. Maybe it's a blog. Maybe it's an ebook. But our job as content marketers is to get your attention. So we can't get your attention off the bat with a 200 page ebook. Doesn't work. We need to get your attention off the bat with a 20 second movie trailer, getting you interested in what it is. And quickly, when I talk about taking it to where people are, It really is about knowing your audience, knowing their persona. Don't put sales persona-based content in an area where marketers are hanging out. Don't put marketing content necessarily in an area, in a community where salespeople are hanging out, because then you look tone-deaf and irrelevant. And that's the last thing you want to do.
0: I love that line. Your content should be like a movie trailer. and th- And that's exactly it because there's a reason that format works, and it's been used by Hollywood for decades because that's what catches people's attention. and And one other thing, and you sort of alluded to this, I always think about the hook. And in the world of journalism and media, a lot of the time when you're telling a big, big story, oftentimes you'll start with, you know, Sally in Wisconsin has this problem. You're not going to say, 10 million Americans do this, because people wanna understand little bite-sized versions and they can relate to those. 100%, they want it to be humanized. They wanna know how it impacts them,
1: not how it impacts, as you said, one of millions. And so, and that's really the key. And one thing we often forget, I tell my team this all the time, we are a B2B company, but we are competing for eyeballs with Netflix, HBO Max, Hulu, Everybody, because people only have so many hours in the day to consume content. And so we can't act like somebody's actually going to want to spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes reading a lengthy blog or a lengthy ebook if we haven't already gotten them
0: interested. Yeah, you can't be boring. That's that's the, the cardinal rule. Never be boring. Can you give an example without naming names, obviously, but either industries or company examples where they're really doing it patently wrong? And maybe even things that are considered industry norms that you think should just be blown up because they don't work. So I
1: think if you look at, for example, social media, I think most companies are doing their social media wrong. I think most companies are distributing content on social with no call to action nothing very compelling. It's just static words on a screen and they're only talking about themselves. And I teach a course on corporate storytelling and I go example after example of companies that repeatedly on every platform post about themselves. We did this. We're great. Here's our CEO, blah, blah, blah. And you never see any third party validation. You don't see their customers saying something. You don't see, you know, an independent report you don't see. So it's always them tooting their own horn. So another thing I tell my team above and beyond the movie trailer concept is let's not toot our own horn when we can avoid it, which is most times. Let's have somebody else talk about how great we are. Let's have an analyst talk about how great we are. People expect you to talk about how great you are. And that's why marketing's gotten a bad name, because For years and years, marketers went through bullet points of everything that was great about their product or service, ignoring everything that wasn't. And I also say to be genuine and authentic with your audience, sometimes you have to acknowledge that either you don't know all the answers or that, yeah, there are some bumps in the road and that's okay.
0: Yeah, the 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 thing you see a lot of the time on LinkedIn, for example, and also on Facebook, you'll see people saying, you know, I'm so excited to announce. We're so proud to share, and it's like you're just going to be patting your own back. The next word out of this is that we won this award or this, and that's great. You know, you you, you get a round of applause from your employees, but it doesn't really help sell any more product. There's a tactic that you reminded me of as you were talking there. So one of the greatest sort of marketing tactics and it works really well in the age of social is something like the Forbes 30 under 30 or 40 under 40. When you can create something, and any brand can do this, create something that shines the spotlight on your customer, on your audience, and then have them become the megaphones on your behalf. And Forbes 30 under 30 is the perfect example. People love to say, hey, this list I was put on. And Forbes knows that. And they put people on the list that are going to have the biggest audiences and are going to want to gloat about it. And I think strategies like that can work for brands too. So John,
1: I don't even think you know this, but for the past about year and a half, we have been doing top lists, top marketers to follow, yeah. top sales leaders to follow, top ad executives to follow. Just because of your point. Now, now look, you know this, I know this. There really are no genuinely like brand new ways of doing things. There's only variations of doing it better. The Forbes list has been done for a very long time, 30 under 30, 40 under 40. So all we did was take that idea, because as you said, it works gloriously, and we tweaked it to our market, to our audience. And to your point, that got more engagement on LinkedIn than any of our other posts during one-quarter last year. And so because it's that, because people love to celebrate themselves and they also love to celebrate what they're doing at their company. And it shows your audience that you're not the only company out there. There's a bunch of other people working for other companies that, hey, are pretty good people and doing pretty good work.
0: Absolutely. Validation all around. Now, your story and and how you got really good at this, because anybody listening now can see that you're, you're really a master at this. Give us your story. What was your path to, to marketing today? John, about nine years ago, I couldn't even
1: spell the word marketing. So I had a very strange path to get here. So I started off in a very traditional journalism world. So I went to journalism school at Northwestern, which is known for journalism and I went right into broadcasting right out of college. And I worked in local television in a number of different cities across our country. And then I made the jump actually to primetime TV and worked for a company, or for a television show rather, called America's Most Wanted with John Walsh, where I shifted, this is a good lesson in here, because what you'll see throughout my career is just that thread of storytelling and how, All storytelling, whether you're doing it for network TV, local TV, a brand that sells widgets, a brand that sells technology, it's all about finding and retaining your audience. That's it. So I made the jump to America's Most Wanted as a national correspondent. I spent seven great years there doing what we called advocacy journalism. So it wasn't objective journalism because we wanted to catch the bad guy. So we weren't about to say, oh, but the bad guy also has some good things about him, you know, and kind of be objective. We were advocacy journalists. And then when when America's Most Wanted got canceled on Fox, unfortunately, I had to make another pivot in my career. So what I did was start my own communications company and also start on a book, a true crime book, because that was my background. And while I was doing all of that and getting clients, I got a call from the Howard Stern show (laughs) in radio to say, hey, do you want to come and try out for this newscaster role we have? So I tried out for it. I didn't get the job. Perseverance, though, pays off. I did not get that job, long story long. And then, so I continued on with my comms company, getting some great clients like SAP, Callaway Golf. It was great. Traveled all around. Then Stern called me back. They had another job for me that they thought I'd be a good fit. So then I went to the Howard Stern show again. Now, using my background in serious storytelling, I now took it to the Howard Stern universe and covered some obscure. Funny topics, but in a journalistic way. So then, after I was there a while, all the while I was still giving seminars on storytelling. And one place that I used to give a lot of seminars was SAP, the technology company. So in 2014, I think it was, they came and said, Hey, would you want to come work for us full time? And my gut reaction was, Absolutely not. I'm not a corporate guy. I'm a media guy. I don't know how corporate works. I don't know how marketing works. I don't know how any of this works. But I did go to SAP, great company, great group of people, headed up content there, got my MBA while I was there because the one thing that I was missing, I had all the storytelling, content, background, all that, but I didn't have the business acumen to understand how to leverage all this content. How do we track it? How do we do analytics? How does it impact pipeline and bottom line, et cetera, et cetera? So I learned that there and I spent five great years at SAP. And then I decided to come to Demand Base for a new adventure about
0: two years ago. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity. Since 2015, we've been building brand communities that drive revenue. First, we did it through influencers. Then we added podcasts. Today, we work with world-class brands to build, optimize, and run breakthrough programs that create and capture demand. It's time to stop renting your influence and start owning it. Learn more at Influicity.com. One thing I want to go back to, and what a phenomenal story, by the way. America's Most Wanted is a phenomenal show. People know it and and the the format. you know, There's other shows that use that format of we're going to catch the bad guy. But it's funny. There's there's a really important storytelling mechanism in there and, and sports uses it as well. It's the idea of having a common enemy. And I actually think it's a great marketing tactic in general. The idea of, hey, we're the good guys. That's the enemy. Let's all throw rocks at the enemy and the key to doing it is it has to be something or someone and it can be by the way an inanimate object or just a, even a theory but it has to be something that we can all gather around and say yeah we can all agree 99% of us can agree that's the bad guy or that's the bad thing and i think that's one of the reasons it's for sure the reason sports works people love having you know us versus them but america's most wanted was that something and i just want to kind of get your thoughts on this the form, that format and that form factor, is that sort of a known thing or is that something that people don't, don't realize enough? I don't think people
1: in business realize it. I think in television and in journalism, you know immediately that conflict is what you want in your stories. And so conflict could be, for example, as you said, a common enemy. It could be a conflict within yourself you know, or telling the story of somebody who has a conflict within themselves. I think it's very well known in the storytelling journalism world. I don't think it's as well known in the business world because it's getting better. But, for example, when you tell a customer story, you have to show their pain points. And it's it's actually very simple. It's problem, solution, resolution. And we talked about this. What problem is person A or company A having? that others can empathize with and then how do you help them solve that and then what does that look like moving forward it's a pretty simple formula but a lot of companies miss it and instead they have their ceos or cmos do videos talking about how great they are rather than a company saying we had a serious problem and we didn't know what to do and then we looked into potential solutions and so i agree with you a thousand percent common enemy conflict that's what makes good storytelling and that's what bands people together
0: and you had this such a rich career leading up to marketing that's helped you do all this and you're and you're sort of naturally so good at it because of the training because of the experience where do you think a marketer today who's come from a more traditional background could get these kinds of chops how do you educate the people on your team to think like you
1: yeah it's tough i mean that's that's a really tough thing one is you know when i hire I actually look for people with some sort of media in their background, if possible, because I think that they will truly understand it off the bat. That being said, there are a bunch of terrific marketers at Base and, of course, at other places, too, who sort of get the idea of storytelling. The difference is that there are still a lot of marketers who were taught how to market a certain way and they're not quite as flexible as they need to be. Let me give you an example. I have a great example, actually. An example is this, you know, we all know what TikTok is. So I've been in situations and I'm not talking about demand-based, but I've been in situations where my team might create a series of TikTok videos. And I purposely tell the marketers, these are TikTok videos, but let's call them TikTok style videos, because Why shouldn't they go into one of your lead gen emails? Why shouldn't they be part of one of your campaigns? Why can't they open one of your virtual events? And marketers can't see that. They're like, no, TikTok videos are for TikTok. And people expect to see them on TikTok. And it's going to be cognitive dissonance if they don't see it on TikTok. And I say, no, 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 no. TikTok is the platform and TikTok is the style. But at the end of the day, it's a seven second, 10 second, whatever short story. So why wouldn't you use it in a demand gen email or a virtual event? To me, that's the perfect example of where I feel like marketers need to sort of broaden out how they think about content.
0: Yeah. I think another way to look at that, I totally agree with you, is to think about these platforms, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, as the greatest public testing rounds to see what works, to see what content resonates. I often use LinkedIn. I've got a LinkedIn audience and I put content out and I'll see what gets the most resonance. And then I'll use that in my live events when I'm doing an email because I know, okay, well, this story really hit. I don't know why. I don't know what the way I said it. But I think using social as a creative testing round and then saying, hey, out of these 100 things we put out on TikTok, this one resonated. Let's make that our next 30 second spot for broadcast or let's make that our piece of creative that works. It's just, it's all the same people on all these platforms for the most part. And they're telling you what works and the algorithms don't lie. And to follow up on that, you know, we do
1: a lot of targeting of say the executive personas, CROs, CMOs, CEOs, private communities for them, et cetera. And not everybody agrees when I say this, which is fine, but I always say this, like, you gotta remember, I don't care if you're a CMO, a CEO, a CRO, These are people. These are people that go home and or they work from home, but or they they go and they watch streaming stuff on Netflix. They watch sports. They watch YouTube. Like, so why are we trying to talk to them in a completely different language full of jargon and this and that? Because these people are people just like us. And I learned that lesson actually at the Howard Stern show when I was shocked to find out because people would reach out the sheer number of CEOs, executives, presidents of huge brands that listen to Howard Stern every single day. And that told me exactly what I just said, that these are people who consume content just like the rest of us. And so to try and sort of act like they're not people or that they're, you know, it's just, it's the wrong way of thinking. In my opinion, there are others who disagree.
0: I, I listen. I totally agree with you, and I'm going to end with a Howard Stern question in a second. But the idea of you know the 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 lawyer that we're selling to or the CFO that we're selling to, we need to speak to her or him in a certain way. Listen, at the end of the day, that's the same person that goes home and kisses their kids before they go to bed and has a beer on the weekend. It's all the same people. I understand the idea that we want to come off ourselves as a professional brand and therefore, for our own benefit, we're going to position ourselves in a certain way. But that doesn't mean our customer doesn't speak English. Like They, they, they can speak English just like they can you know, any other day of the week. So let me finish off. The only guy that pulls me away from podcasts is Howard Stern, and yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a daily listener. I tune in for a few minutes here and there. So here's my question: When you're formulating a story for Howard Stern, I, I'm so I'm so fascinated by how that show works because a radio show being on the air for 30 plus years, you know, that just doesn't happen. How do you formulate a story that's going to be interesting, that's going to be tantalizing? Obviously, it's probably not brand safe, but it's also it can't be so over the edge that people aren't going to listen to it on the radio. So, how do you formulate a story like that?
1: So, that's, an, that's a broad question, and it would depend on what kind of story, who's doing it. I can tell you, I always approached it just with humanity. Like, you know, you, you treat your subjects, even if your subjects are, for example, Howard Stern's Whack Pack. You know who are you know interesting characters but i always treat them the same i used to say when i was at howard and and this is why i think my work kind of resonated at howard in my role was i've interviewed presidents before and i've interviewed whack packers before and i essentially interview in the exact same way because i don't see them as different in terms of people so i think if you're putting together to put together a compelling story it just has to be human, relatable. And, you know, all of the topics that Howard talks about are relatable. That's why people care about it. they might not talk about them always around the dinner table, but they're all relatable and they're all, they all have this human element. So that's what I would say. Very cool. John, where can people find you? Gosh, they can find me a little bit of everywhere. You can certainly look for me on LinkedIn, John Lieberman and i'm on twitter at reporter john i kept that moniker from long ago but uh and check out dbtv on demand website we created something cool the first b2b streaming video site so it's kind of like a netflix for the b2b audience so we're proud of that as well
0: amazing okay thanks so much for joining today john good to see you thank you Thanks for listening to Modern Marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity, empowering marketers to build customer communities that drive revenue. We create massive demand via social, influencer, content, paid media, and of course, podcast. Learn more at influicity.com.